go. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us for this third episode of uh, the Streaming Video Alliance's podcast, Beyond the TV. I've got a really cool guest on today. It's Michael Maponga from Afroland TV. So I'm really excited to uh, to chat with him today about everything Afroland TV. And I've got a list of questions that will take us well past midnight. Uh, so this is a long podcast. Get your seatbelt on, get some drinks and popcorn. You are in for the ride of your life. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Of course I'm kidding. Uh, just only a little bit. It's uh, just till 11 p.m., not midnight. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but Michael, I'm really excited uh, to have you on. I mean, I know, you know, we've talked a bunch when you were just, you know, sort of really starting and cutting your teeth on stuff because we happen to both be in uh, in Texas and in the Dallas area, which was really cool. But, um, you know, let's start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where'd you grow up? You know, what were you like as a kid? What what, what, what have you been doing? What led you here? Yeah. No, listen, Jason, this is uh, this is an honor to be uh, to be on this podcast. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you for uh, everything that you've done up until this point. But, you know, just uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born in Zimbabwe uh, and. You know, just to answer the question, how I was as a kid, I knew from, I believe you, I was, uh, I want to say five or six, I knew that I wanted to go into storytelling. And what storytelling, uh, this reference is uh, the film industry, acting, movies, TV shows, and so forth. I was inspired by um, a sitcom my family used to watch in Zimbabwe called Gringo. Okay. And, uh, I, like the the sitcom, I like the name of that. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, this sitcom basically was, you know, um, I forgot exactly the, uh, the, the, uh, the details about the show itself, but I just remember how it made my family feel, how it brought the family together, right? And this is back then when, you know, you actually had to sit down at, uh, sit down uh, and watch TV at a particular time, right? There was no streaming. Right, yep. Right. So uh, the family would not miss the show. It was very popular. And I just loved watching my family laugh, talking about uh, the crazy things happening in the show. I guess I, that's why I was called Gringo. Right. Uh, but <laughs> in, this, in this case, it, it wasn't uh, the, the name Gringo was not a reference to uh, to Spanish. Right. Because I know Gringo in Spanish means like I think it's like crazy person. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But in, uh, in, uh, I was born in Zimbabwe, which is uh, the, uh, the Shona people, right? In Shona, it just, it's just a, another name, Gringo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's when I got, uh, um, I guess, my acting bug, right? And I was, in, I was involved in theaters uh, back home. I grew up with, uh, with a big head and big ears, <laughs> right? So I specifically remember there was this theater show. And they cast me as the elephant. Oh. Right? They cast me as the elephant because they're like, Mike, you have a big head, you have uh, big ears. This would be perfect for you. And you're like, but I, so, I don't have a trunk. Like, what are you people talking about? <laughs> exactly, right? So listen, I was like, hey, uh, that's uh, literally, those are like my early days uh, of me being in the industry. And at this age, you know, I didn't know this was what I was going to pursue my whole life. This was going to be my love. It was something that came to me naturally. And uh, when I migrated to the United States, I uh, wanted to further my career in that regard. I went to acting school here in Dallas, Texas, and then I also received a scholarship uh, by a Hollywood uh, casting director. Her name was Amber Horn, uh, and I went to her school uh, for quite some time, graduated, um, 
was in some uh, phenomenal films throughout my career uh, that have led me to work in Hollywood, Asia, uh, Europe, and also in Africa. So, you know, that's uh, my whole life story put uh, in like, uh, you know, quick two minute pitch. But that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing, right? So, I mean, it's those experiences we have as kids that, you know, that do something for us. Like I always wanted to be a novelist. I went to school to, you know, to train as a novelist, to train in creative writing. I wrote a novel, you know, as an undergraduate. And, and I actually, the first book I wrote was when I was in high school, like it's 240 pages of absolute utter drivel. Um, And no, I cannot find it. It's gone. It's been burned. uh, And then the ashes have been cast into the universe. So no one will ever put them back together again. (laughs) But, but it's, but that's what drove me, you know, into it kind of into the same, like that same pathway that that you took. And so that's, that's really fantastic. Now, the, the next question though is, you know, here you've been going, you, you were, you know, you're in acting, you're, you know, you're doing what you thought you loved, storytelling, involved in the act of storytelling and conveying stories to audiences. What, what drew you to, you know, sort of flip, to go to the flip side, go to the business side of storytelling and start an OTT platform? Yeah, so I'll tell you this, throughout my career, people do not realize that, well, I realize this, actors do not have power. Ah, uh, True. Right, because it felt like my dream was going to be dictated by somebody who either said yes or no. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, I'm just not wired that way. I'm a go-getter, right? If I want something, I'm going to go after it and I'm going to get it. And throughout, uh, throughout my career as well as an actor, and uh, I got into producing as well, okay. I realized I was missing home, stories from home. Right, especially when these uh, superhero movies started uh, coming out, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, man, I remember these, I remember like mythical stories like this or fantasy stories like this from back home. But people around the world would never discover these uh, movies because nobody is telling them or nobody wants to show them. Right, the, uh, the film industry is saturated by Hollywood content and for good reasons, right? It's good content, right? But there were so many other more stories that the world would not get to see because nobody was actually, I guess, uh, I wouldn't even say brave because brave is uh, brave will be for something that is like not going to be accepted. Right. right. But there, there just wasn't, um, number one, there was no, de- uh, there was no demand uh, for it outside of uh, Africa because people didn't know it existed. Right. And growing up, one of my favorite genres of movies was Kung Fu movies. Oh, yes. From- oh, yes. <laughs> Listen, I love those movies. I love them, right? And the reason I love them is because they're uh, authentically told, right? They're not trying to tell a story to fit into Hollywood. But they were t- telling Very their true. own stories, and people just fell in love with those stories globally. And I was like, I want to do the same thing for African film because it's the same thing. People would love the, uh, the different cultures. People would love the different things that, uh, that we do, right? We tell stories about love. We tell stories about thrillers, uh, fantasy, action, right? Any moviegoer is going to love these stories. Obviously, they just told from an African perspective. So... I know I'm rambling a little bit because I'm passionate about this. No, no, right. It's it's funny. It's really interesting, right? We're seeing what you're talking about happen in publishing right now, 
So exactly. we are seeing some amazing uh, writers coming from Africa or African descent telling African stories. I mean, like, look at, you know, like uh, Tommy Adiyeme and Marlon James. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I, like, I've got like 3,000, over 3,000 books in my house. Like, I read all these books. Oh my God. <laughs> and, That's awesome, man. I'm trying to be like you. <laughs> and they go back on the shelf. I don't get rid of books ever. And so <laughs> I'm, awesome. I'm really excited by some of these stories coming out because I've always yeah. been passionate about that kind of storytelling, fantasy, sci-fi, mythical, like that's just like really exciting. And by the way, I looked, I was on yeah. the site and I watched the trailer for the Genesis of the Ashantis. Uh, dude, I'm watching that. Yeah. I'm watching that. That trailer looked badass. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie later today. <laughs> exactly. Right. Those are the type of stories that we want people to discover. Right. This is not about all oh, this is uh, just a platform for Africans. And I always tell people, no, it's not about that. But we are introducing new stories to the global stage. We're bringing new stories to people that would have never discovered them. Right. Listen, I love Hollywood. I work there. I, I have friends there till this day. We have investors that are Hollywood. I mean, NBC, Universal Studios. Right. right? They're investors in us. I love their work. But now I just want people to experience where I'm from. Right? I want people to experience different stories from the continent. And, you know, throughout my acting career, I always knew that I didn't want to just pursue acting alone. You can you cannot be just an actor uh, in this uh, in today's industry. OK, that's yeah, that's interesting to hear. You have to do it all or, or else people literally are going to dictate how far you go with your career. And somebody can uh, literally an executive can uh, not like your look and that can kill your career. Yeah, I've heard I've heard about that. It's funny. My uh, younger son is finishing up his acting degree at the University of Arizona, um, and he is a really like his. I don't know his sweet spot is Shakespeare, right? He is a thespian. Like he he has great delivery for Shakespeare, but he's you know yeah. he's on the shorter side, um, exactly. you know, and it's like. You know, he could wander into a casting call and somebody could look at him and go, nope, we're not looking for anybody that looks like you. See you later. Um, exactly. So I, I do understand. I do understand that fear of like mm -hmm. somebody else dictating, you know, based on just totally, total subjectiveness. You could be the greatest actor ever, but they're like, mm, exactly. nah, I don't like your haircut. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> exactly. Right. And uh, Hollywood now is becoming superficial. And what that means is they're not looking for talent anymore. Because guess what? I'm a thespian, right? I was, uh, I'm, uh, I was uh, an international thespian, meaning that in high school, I was selected, uh, I was selected to be in the, uh, the elite thespian uh, festival where we actually go and perform in front of thousands of people. Yeah, that's awesome. Right? I loved that. That's, I'm a thespian by heart, right? And to be a thespian, you have to have real talent. Yes. Real acting is uh, literally theater, uh, the, uh, theater actors. Yep. We spent 12 hours a day just practicing. And Hollywood is not looking for that. They're looking for trendy things. That's a, that's right? a good point, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and you see it with the cookie-cutter Marvel movies. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm a huge Marvel nerd and a Stan Lee fan. Yeah. And they tell, like, the comic books, they tell wonderful stories in beautiful, beautifully intricate, developed worlds. But yeah. but the implementation by Hollywood has become very cookie-cutter. Um, exactly. Exactly. They're, they're just looking for the, uh, you know, the TikTokers, the famous TikTokers, the Instagrammers, because obviously it generates profit. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No, right. right. I mean, yeah, if you can pull influencers into your movie, to be honest, I mean, you're leaning then on the influencers ability to generate 
you know, sales of tickets or purchases of DVDs or downloads of movies because they might have two, three, four, five million followers who are all going to do exactly what he asks them or she asks them to do. Um, exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I get it's, it. It's all about the receipts. But then uh, to finally answer your question, right, uh, <laughs> it's uh, for me, number one, actors do not have any power to dictate anything. Uh, number two is I wanted to tell African stories, right? And the best way, and, and I tried to marry that. I was like, okay, as an African uh, actor, or just as an actor, how can I tell African stories? And then I said, you know what? I can be in African movies. And then I wasn't in an African movie, right? I have done African movies. And I'm like, okay, but they have no distribution, right? Who's going to watch this? Nobody in the United States is going to be able to watch this, right? What else do I need to do? And uh, I was speaking to one of my mentors uh, and he was a fan of some of the film that I have uh, that I had did uh, previously uh, years back. And his name is Ron Valderrama, right? And he's the uh, CEO of a company called StreamNow TV, right? Uh, it's a classical uh, streaming platform for like older classic shows. I love Lucy and so forth, right? So he told me he's like, "Listen, man, um, you know, this might be an interesting industry for you." Uh, you know, according to what you were saying you want to do, right? And he literally walked me down the aisle wow. as, I, as I was building this. Uh, because at first I was like, ah, how am I going to build technology like this? It's so complicated. He's, you know, just one developer is not going to be able to get the job done. Right. <laughs> right? He said, start small, right? Start small. So um, in 2015, Afroland TV launched uh, on WordPress. Oh, <laughs> you know, you use, you use what's there. Absolutely. Exactly. We were a WordPress website, right? Uh, and it worked fine, right? This was just an early MVP. I taught myself how to code, right? I taught myself uh, industry lingo, understanding uh, CDNs, uh, understanding delivery, uh, latency, um, just, uh, just a whole bunch of technical work that I had to educate myself. So it took some time, right? It took me literally three years of, from 2015, I'll probably say to 2017, for me to decently get it. Honestly, that's, that's about right. It's funny. When I worked at Limelight Networks, we used to say it was about a nine to 12 month ramp up time for new, yeah. new people to sort of get comfortable understanding streaming video and content delivery and all, all the ins and outs of it. So yeah, that, that makes total sense. Absolutely. It's different because it's not just like your traditional, you know, engineer that you need to uh, code some website and call it a day, right? There's so much more needed, right? And, well, and it, go ahead. It, well, as you say, it's funny because it, it in, like encoding is a huge part of a streaming platform, right? It's making sure that you have the right bit rates and the right packaging and everything to deliver content to all those devices. But when you talk to people who are, you know, quote unquote, encoding experts, man, tuning an encoder is like a black box. I mean, it's it's, it's like they are magicians and the, the, the content loaners and the streaming operators who have those magicians, they don't share them with anybody. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is our magician. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a highly, highly uh, uh, revered position. Right. And we're still trying to find our magician, even though, uh, you know, we've uh, we have the backing from. You know, the Comcast, NBC, Universal, uh, some helping us with, you know, figuring things out along the way. Well, and that leads me to your know, like, question. is like, wait, so where are you now in terms of things like funding? And and I know that, you know, you did, a, uh, I don't know the right word is incubator, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a yeah. tech stars program with with Comcast, NBCU. What, what's it been like working with them? 
Oh man, it is. Uh, it, it is. Okay, so <laughs> it, it's so much, right? But I want to make sure that I explain this clearly for people to understand the magnitude of being involved in those accelerators. Sure, accelerator. That was it. Yes. Right. So. Prior to getting into Techstars, I had gone through uh, another accelerator, which was good, right? It was a uh, good, like, preparatory steps, you know, setting up a company, making sure uh, all the legal paperwork is there, right? And, you know, pitching to investors and so forth, right? That was good. But when I got into Techstars, one of the things that they say when you get into that accelerator is, we are not investing in your idea, Right, we are investing in you, the founder, because we are excited about you. Good. Because an idea can always crumble. Yep. Right, an idea is not literally nothing under the sun is is really original. I agree. I right? agree with that. Yes. An idea can come and go, and everybody has ideas. Billions of people, seven billion people now have yeah, a ideas. lot of ideas. <laughs> exactly. But it's you, the founder, that we are focusing on because you can execute this idea or any other idea you come up with, even if this idea fails. So we're investing in you. That changed my whole perception in terms of how to approach this uh, startup journey. Because it gave me confidence. They're investing in me because I've always, you know, I, I always feel, I always feel inferior to, you know, the people I'm surrounded by. Okay. Right. Uh, being the founder is very, very lonely. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I've <laughs> been there. <laughs> yes. And for people to say, no, listen, we are uh, trusting you. We find you as a, uh, you know, as a capable founder. And for tech stars, right? This, um, it's harder to get into tech stars than it is to get into Harvard. Wow. Only one percent of companies that apply to tech stars get in. Wow. Right. We got in. Uh, that's so that validated, you know, that validated myself as a founder. I have more confidence. And the program itself uh, was very uh, specific because obviously as an uh, entertainment and media technology company, uh, we, we got partnered with Comcast NBC Universal as well. Right. So it was really specific to what we were doing. And we got a lot of uh, a lot of help from the executives coming from the tech stars, uh, coming from the uh, Comcast side and then also the uh, startup side uh, from Techstars. But it was essentially, that program was three months long. It was a, it was a CEO, literally it was a, like a CEO masterclass. Oh, very cool. Right, they, uh, they taught you how to be a better CEO, right? They taught you about numbers, yeah. right? <laughs> know your numbers. Yep. <laughs> know your numbers. And literally it was, uh, it was one of the most stressful times or periods of my life. It's not an easy program to go through. But very rewarding. But very, very rewarding. And after you come out of that program, you feel like Superman, right? I command the rooms that I'm in, right? I'm able to pitch and uh, articulate exactly what we do, my vision, where we are. I love it. I love it. So it was an incredible journey, met a whole bunch of people, and now we get to leverage uh, Comcast, NBC, Universal's uh, resources, anything that we need from, uh, for example, we are advertising platform, right? So we get to utilize uh, free will as our oh, answer. Oh, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. We are uh, we are partnering with them in terms of like distributions, right? So not only are we just a streaming platform, but 
we can provide them with some of the best African content that's not ready to be in the window of uh, free streaming. Oh, that's right. That's very cool. I really like that. And, and you know, something you said about Techstars really makes me mm-hmm. happy. Um, you yeah. know, having like, I, so I've been a serial entrepreneur, right? I've raised lots of money and worked with lots of VCs and I've never, exactly. I've never been successful, but I have been successful because each time, yeah. you know, those yeah. VCs have looked and said like, Hey, you failed, you've learned something, you, you know, we, we, we want to work with you. I used to yeah. tell startup folks all the time, like, listen, you need to find a savvy investor who's investing is in you. Um, and your team, not just the idea. Uh, yeah. and, and the problem is there are so many unsavvy investors out there. People are just taking money, you know, yeah. to, to take money. And the unsavvy investor just, you know, basically wrecks and, and sinks the boat. Um, exactly. And it's really sad. So it's great to hear that you got into this program that said, no, 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 no. Yeah, we love your idea. That's a great idea. But it's yeah. you. You are the exactly. person we're investing in. I, lo- I love to hear that kind of story. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have nothing but just raves for what uh, Techstars has done uh, business wise and even personally. Right. Uh, it's literally the best program in the world for any startup. Oh, that's very cool. Good. Good plug, Techstars. I'm going to be sending this podcast to you. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So tell me a little bit, you know, obviously we just went through this pandemic. Um, you know, that's kind of crazy. You know, it's just a crazy time. We saw streaming, you know, explode uh, exponentially, right? We saw that transition from broadcast to streaming kind of accelerate and take off down the hill. Um, How did it affect you guys? Like, did you see a lot of new subscribers? Like, what was it like? Yeah, so it affected us uh, positively, obviously, uh, when in in regards to subscribers, but it affected us negatively as well because uh, of our uh, early stage. Yeah, yeah. Right, so we did see an increase. Uh, At one point, we were up, uh, we were doing 60 60% 60% month over month in terms of uh, new signups. Wow. And we were still a subscription, right? So people were paying us a monthly fee. And uh, this is uh, back in uh, March, March, April of last year. We're roughly at 60% uh, percent month over month with new subscribers. Viewership was up uh, close to 140%, right? Every, you could tell everybody was home, <laughs> right? <laughs> everybody. Exactly. Yeah, everybody was home watching stuff, and uh, that was excellent because we grew our audience. We knew what our audiences wanted to watch. Uh, we knew their habits, so that was uh, really exciting. Now, from the negative standpoint, uh, as a startup, uh, I'm always on the run trying to raise more capital, yep. right? As a CEO, I have three duties, right? Number one is to uh, uh, tell the vision, yes. right? <clears throat> Number two is uh, manage my team, manage, build uh, my team. Right. And num- number three is uh, managed capital. So if one of those if one of those things are not happening, your company is not going to make it. That's a good point. Right. So I was uh, out there trying to raise capital. And this is when the world didn't know what this COVID was, what it was going to do uh, longevity wise. So investors zipped up their uh, pockets. Oh, yeah. No. Coming out. Right. And this is uh, right after uh, we got from um, this is in early or late February, early March, uh, we actually got invited and we were the first American and African startup to be invited to uh, the Berlin uh, Nally International Film Festival in uh, Berlin, Germany. Oh, wow. Right. And uh, it's also called the uh, European Film Market, which is um, 
a big film market where, you know, international films are coming. You have celebrities premiering movies. It's like Cannes is right below Cannes. Yeah, you go by content there. Yep, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Right underneath us uh, in prestige-wise. So it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we got to pitch. Uh, we were in that program. We met so many uh, investors. Actually, one of the German investors might be closing on us next oh, week. Cool. I'm uh, crossing my fingers, right? We've been courting them for like a year. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> So, um, oh man, I just lost my, oh yes. So, you know, we were on a high, right? We were like, oh man, we're about to kill and finish this round, right? Uh, we're about to raise money after this, uh, after Berlin Alley or uh, European film, fe- uh, film market. And when we got home in March, the world shut down, right? And uh, I had COVID. Oh no. Yes, I had COVID early. Ooh. When people didn't know what it was, really scary. And uh, this is when Europe was uh, was like the was like the second uh, biggest. Oh, actually, it was growing faster in Europe than it was in China. It was yep. They stopped everything. Uh, they stopped all the flights from Europe, right? And uh, our flight came back on the. Uh, we flew out on the twenty seventh. They shut down the airports on the 29th. Oh. <laughs> Goodness. No, 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 no. On the 20th, it was February, so there's no 29th. It was the 28th. We flew, uh, they, uh, we flew from Germany to uh, Turkey uh, for a connecting flight to the States on the, uh, on the 27th. We spent the night in, uh, in Turkey, and they shut down the airports oh, from Europe. Got here, my chest started, uh, just feel, started feeling some discomfort, like, man, what's going on? Right? Uh, they didn't want to test me. I didn't have a fever. Right. Uh, I had a dry cough. Yeah. Uh, chest pain that I've never felt before. Right. I was like, what is this felt like? I had like pneumonia. Wow. Right. That, that's literally what it felt like. And I kept on telling my wife, uh, I have to go to the hospital. I have to go to the hospital. And, uh, you know, I was just freaking out. Right. Well, understandable. <laughs> but I didn't, I, I didn't have any like life threatening symptoms. Right. I called a doctor. Said, hey, listen, this is what I'm feeling. And here's what they said. They said, you know what? You don't have uh, a fever, so you're fine. Just stay home. <laughs> nice. Well, and I guess at the time they were still really uncertain about what, you know, what COVID was. But um, exactly. still, that's that's definitely scary. Um, yeah. You know, and, it, and it's interesting to hear, you know, kind of like, you know, how the pandemic really affected you guys. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess you don't think a lot about the business impact of COVID. I mean, we think about, well, so I take that back. We think about sort of like, what's the impact of our business on our business or ability to generate revenue. But then at the same time, we don't really ask like, what's the impact of us like carrying out the other parts of our business? Like you said, like, you know, you want to fly around and talk to investors and raise money and that's a no-go. You know, and it's funny, I had a similar experience. I was trying to raise institutional capital in 2008 and like, like, yeah. And my partner, like my partner in my company, he was a well-known VC. Like we were really good friends. And so we had, you know, GP meetings with Kleiner Perkins and DFJ. And I mean, it was wow. like we walked to the front door. It's like, hey, how you doing? We sat down and they were like, this is the best thing we ever heard of. We're not writing any checks. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. so sad. But but that's <laughs> that's the same. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about like the impact of you know, a situation on our ability to carry out the other aspects of our business that are important. So that's interesting to hear how the pandemic affected that part of it. But where, where, so where are you now? I mean, you're talking about just closing a little bit of money, like, you know, yeah. how's it looking? So, so in total, 
so we are raising a pre-seed. We're actually raising a, uh, an official pre-seed round. Okay, good. Right. Prior to this pre-seed round, we have raised a total of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Hey, that's not bad. Um, not not too bad, right? Uh, it's good enough to get us uh, up. Yep. Right. Uh, we we have uh, Jalen Smith, a cowboy player, nice uh, as one of our investors. Obviously, TechStars and uh, Comcast and a couple of angel investors. And uh, coming out of the uh, the TechStars program uh, that ended in December, we opened up our pre-seed round of $500,000 in January. Good. Right. So uh, we have raised uh, or we have committed $150,000 right now, which is 30% of that whole round. Uh, looking to closing it within the next uh, 60 days by the end of April. We should have the round closed. So we're picking up some decent uh, some decent traction now. Right. Um, it is. Uh, it has been a little challenging. Of course, raising money is still challenging. Always. Right. But, you know, uh, some investors not understanding the industry. Right. Uh, not understanding the relevance of just the market, uh, the growth that's going to happen uh, in the African market. Uh, so really had to uh, fine tune my pitch. Right. And uh, be able to articulate the problem and our solution in a way that will uh, convict the uh, the investors that. We are going to get the job done. Yeah, we had the same problem with. Uh, so I founded a company called DataZoom with Diane Struttner. Um, yeah. And, you know, I stepped away from that uh, into an advisory role because I just simply had too much on my plate and I had to focus on yeah. uh, the alliance. But, you know, we went through that same thing as investors not understanding, like, what it, it wasn't even what we were trying to pitch. They didn't even understand the industry. They were like, right. they were like, streaming what? <laughs> what? <laughs> are you are you Netflix? No, I, I. Is there anybody else in the industry? Um, yeah. So I, I get that. I mean, that's you know, I, I, that's probably par for the course with most discussions around startups in the streaming space. Although maybe it's getting better, you know. And, but that leads me to to ask you a question, sort of like you know, what have the big challenges been so far besides the usual startup stuff like raising money? Anything you know that that really sort of vexed you guys? Yeah, yeah. So. I'll talk from a, from a business standpoint, and then I'll also talk from a technical standpoint. Okay, cool. And I'll start off with the technical side, right? So building streaming infrastructure from the ground up is very capital intensive. Oh, yes. Right. So what we've had to do is we have to leverage third parties, right, and just uh, utilize, uh, sometimes utilize their API uh, for, or if we want to um, – if we uh, when we wanted to launch to a bigger market, we just white labeled um, a platform. That's a good idea. Yeah, right. Uh, until we picked up some decent traction and obviously uh, put together a big team to be able to build our own infrastructure in the long term. Right. So we do have some uh, propriety, some IP that is uh, for us in terms of like uh, reporting analytics uh, because that's a big thing. Oh yeah. In the uh, in, in this industry, right? The filmmakers you're partnering with or the distributors, they want to know how their content is doing. And uh, that's something that's, uh, you know, still lacking. I mean, there's some uh, really good companies out there. Uh, what is that? Not not all people, or what, what is that company nice called? Nice people at work. Yep. Nice people at work uh, in Europe, right? Uh, they're, they're based in Europe, I believe yeah. in the UK. Uh, Barcelona. Barcelona. You know, they're doing a fantastic job in terms of just uh, uh, reporting, oh. right? But... Um, you know, it can be expensive for an early on, early stage startup. So we built our own system, right? Very basic, uh, but it gets the job done. So the biggest challenge is, from a technical standpoint, is the infrastructure that you need. Sure. 
right? Because again, it's very uh, capital intensive. So we had to strategize, okay, what do we want to white label? What do we want to keep as our own? Right. So that was a, that was a struggle. And we're still going through it because we're still not where we want to be, especially transitioning from being a subscription to an advertising uh, platform, because it is a big difference. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is a big difference. Right. Subscription is, uh, you know, that's easy. Right. Money coming in every single month. Um, yada, yada. Right. And then you have uh, the advertising side, which is a humongous industry when we're talking traditional linear TV. Right. And now that's tra- uh, that's uh, transitioning to digital. So massive opportunity. It's a struggle making sure that uh, the uh, the tracking of the ads getting played, um, uh, the latency. Right. Making sure the ads are serving at a particular time. They are not skipping. It's complicated. Right? It's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to think uh, to think about uh, because. You know, somebody new coming into this industry industry will say, "Yeah, you just put a couple of commercials and that's it. It's far from <laughs> that's that might be the best thing I've ever heard anybody say." <laughs> oh, Avon, yeah, you just put a couple it's, commercials and you're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it sounds easy, right? It's it's far from that. And uh, when we made that conversion, yeah, when we made that conversion, um, you know, it, it be, literally I had to go to school for advertising, which I'm still in school, right? I'm taking the course, um, um, course created by uh, Google Ads Manager, which used to be double click. Used to be double click, yep. Yeah, it used to be double click, but now it's Google Ads Manager. They have a fantastic course, a crash course for anybody wanting to get, uh, uh, you know, some understanding into the uh, the advertising space specifically for OTT. I can oh, this is a strange. Can you just send me that link to that? That is really cool. I, I don't necessarily want to take the course, but I want to to be able to provide that to our members. Especially, I'll send it to the advertising working group at the alliance. Say like, hey, this is really, yeah. really cool. How do we promote this kind of content? Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I was actually on the call last week. Or was it last week or two weeks ago? Um, the advertising group. So. Uh, I'm presenting in the next meeting, right. uh, but uh, about a week from now, I believe uh, about a week uh, from now in terms of uh, just how we are integrating with uh, with Freewheel. Oh, uh, also, uh, a little bit about Afroland TV. So, yeah, the uh, hey, the alliance has been cool, man. Really do appreciate being in. The- I, I am so glad that that you're doing that and really sort of like leaning into the opportunity because that's what we want. Where We wanted to give startups and small companies the ability to get access to these forums for not only figuring out how to solve collective problems, but being able yeah. to then, you know, touch other colleagues and say like, hey, I have a question. I wouldn't know you otherwise, but here you are in this working group. Can you, you know, can you can you give me some of your expertise? So I'm exactly really glad to hear that you're doing that. That is I connected with uh, his name is uh, Jay. Is it Jason? Uh, he's uh, in, I believe, like Australia or New Zealand. His company is uh, Oat TV. Uh, Oat TV. I for, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, right? But uh, this just goes to show you the network of uh, the alliance. Yes, right. Connecting with different. He connect. He he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I uh, heard you, uh, Dave. Dave Glass. Oh, Dave Glasson. Yeah, he's from. Uh, oh my gosh, I just blanked. Uh, Alt Alt TV. Yes. Yeah, Alt TV. Uh, yeah, Alt TV. Connected with him on LinkedIn. He was like, uh, "Hey man, um, I met you last week on the uh, SVA call, the uh, Streaming uh, Video Alliance call, and we just connected from that standpoint. And you know, uh, it, it's good just to know that there's like-minded people also going through the same struggles or even are past your your early baby stage struggles that we're going through 
and we have them to rely on uh, for help. No, that that's that's absolutely fantastic to hear. I'm so glad. Yeah, Dave's great. I was I was uh, talking with Alt TV um, quite a bit last year before they joined, sort of helping them out with some stuff. Uh, again, okay. I just love. You know, I love. I'm a startup guy. I love helping companies. Are yeah. really just getting going uh, because they have mm-hmm. lots of questions about things. So that's cool exactly. that he reached out to you to say, "Hey, we're, <laughs> hey, we know, we know about all this stuff. We can help you." Um, that's exactly. really, yeah, really cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I was I was wondering about is, you know, from a content perspective, because obviously you've got you know you've got technical things that you're working on, and, and it's cool to hear that you are taking your technology stack at a. You're not trying to bite it off at all all at one time. I think that's a mistake people make. Um, So you're taking it bit by bit and you'll eventually mature to the point of, you know, you'll be running things serverless in the edge. You'll be using microservices. You'll have your own workflow. Like, yes, you'll get there, but you're doing it um, strategically, which I love to hear. Um, Obviously, the other side of your business is all about content, right? (laughs) So um, so I I have this question about Nollywood, right? Because I know that, you know, obviously Bollywood really put, you know, content from India on the global map. Like people are, oh my gosh, I didn't know all this content was being created. Um, Exactly. You know, talk a little bit about, you know, about those concepts like Nollywood. Are there other concepts like that within, um, you know, the African continent within different countries or, you know, different groups that are doing kind of the same thing, you know, and how, how, how is that helping you source new content? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm great. You brought, uh, you brought it up, Jason. So a lot of things, uh, a fun fact a lot of people do not know is that Africa is the second biggest continent um, or second biggest film industry. Uh, it is a big continent, yes, but it is the second biggest uh, film industry in the world when it comes to content being uh, produced every single year annually, right? So it's we're only behind Bollywood, and we all know that Bollywood is massive. Yes. <laughs> right, Um and the same thing is uh, is happening right now with the African industry, right? There are over 5,000 movies and TV shows produced every single year, and less than 1% of those titles get distribution globally. Wow. So all those movies are literally just being cradled on the continent. And it's not like they're moving uh, because there's 54 countries, yeah. right? It's not like they're moving uh, across borders. Everybody on the continent knows about them. It's still difficult. Right. So all these movies, uh, the, the, uh, the, the country that was leading or that is leading the way is Nigeria. They are the ones that are leading the African film industry. And uh, it's called Nollywood. Right. This is where this is where the term. That's what the uh, term Nollywood represents is the Nigerian film and TV industry. And it started way back. I'll say um, I want to say late 80s. Oh, wow. Um, but it has been gaining international traction now, right? Because Nollywood is known uh, for anybody that knows it. It's like over-dramatized uh, acting, right? Or stories, right? And back in like the early 2000s, people would just laugh it off like, oh, this is silly. This is silly. But if you continue doing something uh, and you're a consistent edit, you, bec- you start becoming good. Yeah, that's right. And the world starts to take a notice. Right. And that's why that is what's currently happening on the African continent with Nollywood leading the charge. Now, also, another fun fact, right? Distribution just on the continent is horrible. Okay. Right. Not only just intercontinental, but also globally. Uh, And to help 
paint the picture of uh, the problem here is the continent of Africa has over 1.2 billion people on it. For every million people on the continent, there is less than 10 theaters for that, uh, for that population. And I'm actually being generous. It's far less than 10. Right. And if you compare that to the United States, right, we have a total population of uh, 300, 350 million people per million people here in the States. There's over 130 theaters. And what I'm trying to get to, Jason, is this. The African filmmakers that are producing the content, right, 5000 plus TV shows and movies that are producing this content, they cannot rely on the local theaters to generate profit for them so they can continue telling these stories. They're not going to get anything from their local theaters because it's not many. There's less than 1,000 theaters on the African continent. Whoa. Right? So that, that is the scarcity that's happening. So these stories are not getting distribution. The uh, filmmakers are not making any profit here. So we are actually in a... Uh, what, what I like to call uh, the third re uh, revolution of TV. The first one was radio and TV way back uh, in olden days or the 60s, 70s, 40s, whatever it is. And then the second one was uh, the satellite cable TV with uh, ABC, NBC, yep. right? Into TV to a whole new uh, level and made entrepreneurs like Ted Turner uh, billionaire. Yep. Right now we're in the third wave of uh, the uh, TV re uh, revolution, which is streaming, right? And with the problems I just explained with you, with filmmakers not relying on, uh, not being able to rely on local theaters to generate any income, now they have streaming platforms to do that for them. Now we can bring their stories to the world. It's much easier. Now we have democratized that, right? They don't have to look to, uh, you know, impressing Hollywood by telling stories that only Hollywood will accept about Africa, which is, you know, poverty, wars, yep. and destitute stories. So now, so, so, go ahead. So, so, so in terms of content sourcing, are, you know, are, are people within, like content creators within Africa, like so in Nollywood or in other parts, or even within its diaspora, are they, are they starting to come to you? Um, or, yes. oh, that's, no, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yes. yes. And that's uh, because we're in the game early. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That makes a lot of sense. We're in the game early. And what we're now trying to do is if we can get these filmmakers money, we win the market. If we can generate good profits with the films that they're giving us and we distribute it uh, uh, globally, right, using the resources and the partners that we have, we win the market. And that's what we want to do. That's what we're going to do, right? So it's all about these filmmakers uh, feeling comfortable, right? Now there's actually somebody who wants their film work, right? I mean, uh, Netflix is there as well doing their thing, right? Right, But, you know, they're going for the bigger productions, right? They, you know, they like to spend money. <laughs> and, and, right. and content creators like exactly. Netflix's money. <laughs> Exactly. Right. But Netflix is a generalized platform. It's for everybody. We have everything for everybody. We want to be everything for somebody. I like that. I like that approach. I mean, and, and it's it's funny because I've been saying that for a long time is, is what's going to eat Netflix's lunch are the niche content plays, right? The vertical targeted content plays. Like, look at look what, you know, Drama Fever from Korea. There's all Korean dramas. Um, 
you know, they went out gangbuster. They were first, you know, they got purchased for a, a tidy sum of money. But then you look at others like Crunchyroll. And I, I think that there is a place, a big place in people's pockets for vertical focus, vertically focused content. It's like content that's very, that's, that's, that's specific, right? It's not, hey, it's not where Afroland TV, we have a lot of gardening content too. It's like, well, yeah. hold on a second. That's not us. We are, <laughs> we are about, you know, African dramas and, you know, thrillers and movies and TV shows that focus in on storytelling. Um, so that, that's, you know, it's, it, I think, I, that's why I think, and like when we talked originally, I think why I was like, man, this is a really cool idea. He's, yeah. He is on to something because it's these vertically focused content plays that are really going to get big. Um, they can get big fast. And then, hey, let's be honest, somebody comes along and acquires you for a big chunk of money. And now it's Michael Mapunga. Exactly. <laughs> that's like 3, that's like 3 MGB, like M cubed. That'd be your new name, M cubed. Michael Mapunga. Yeah. And I want to add on to that, Jason. The thing is, right? Netflix, again, like I said, they have everything for everybody. So, of course, they're going to have some African titles, right? And I always get this question, you know, well, uh, Netflix is doing it, so why are you doing it? <laughs> and the simple answer is this. You cannot simply contain a whole – you cannot contain all African stories and put them in a single category, a selection on Netflix. That's like trying to contain Bollywood. That's a great point. Right. But they say, hey, listen, Bollywood would like you, but we're only just going to give you a small section. We are so much bigger than just a section. Well, we're not. Yeah. And flip it. Like, what if you had an OTT service uh, like Netflix mm-hmm. that started somewhere else in the world? Like, I don't know, called iFlix. And what if they had a category <laughs> called North America and North America was just this lump of content? And you're like, exactly. No, that's, it's stupid. I totally agree with that, that your your yeah, your approach to segmenting you know, African stories by what the kinds of stories they are and, and positioning that as its own stream platform is the way to go. Exactly. Exactly. So that's our approach. And, you know, that's how I answer those questions. You know, well, why won't Netflix come in and take this? And I'm like, hey, listen, they could, but they won't. That, that And that, again, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. You're, they're not going to put in the kind of effort that's needed for, addressing a specific vertical of content they are just going to label it as a vertical of content african exactly and listen i have friends at netflix right i love what netflix does right but they cannot simply speak for all african stories and have every single thing that every single person is going to enjoy right they're not going to have a monopoly in the African film industry. That's silly. I, I, t- I totally agree with that. Absolutely. That, that is the right strategy and the right way to talk about that. Um, exactly. So, so that actually leads me to another question is, you know, are, are you thinking about, it doesn't have to be right now, but are you thinking about even in the future of, you know, considering producing some original content as well, or helping to produce original content that would then come through the Afroland TV platform? Yeah, we want to do that this year. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we want to do that this year uh, in partnership with uh, Comcast, NBC Universal. Ah, oh, that. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, in the process right now of you know reading treatments, uh, finding the right story that we want to bring using our data that we collect from our audiences uh, to make sure that we put together uh, a production we know that they're gonna love, and also productions that we are a production that we can uh, put on platforms such as Peacock, Comcast, Cable, Xfinity. Uh, shared within the Comcast ecosystem just because they are going to be a partner in our first 
uh, productions. Ah, very. I, I like that a lot. I think that's great. Again, a great you know direction to go. Now, one thing I was I was on the site again, looking looking at stuff, finding the the Genesis movie that I'm going to watch. But I noticed yeah. I noticed that you got a box on there that's you know live, like watch something live. So are, are you guys yeah. also doing a sort of linear offering in addition to the to the VOD assets? So we're trying out the uh, the linear option. So it's. Uh, you know, it's really not live. It's just a playlist. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's pseudo live, but it's similar to live, right? Is that there's this. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're, we just, uh, and that's like literally with like all like Pluto TV and all these other platforms. It's literally just a playlist. And some, of course, they do have uh, actual live programs such as sports sometimes. Okay, cool. But, uh, but yeah, so right now we're testing out this, um, uh, this uh, linear channel to see exactly you know, how people respond to it. And the reason we're doing it is, you know, a lot of people don't know about our content, right? If you, uh, if, you know, we, we don't have Denzel, we don't have Will Smith, Brad Pitt, we don't have the A-listers that would draw crowds, right? right? So when somebody gets to Afroland TV for the first time, not knowing what it is, right, we want to help them out by saying, hey, you don't have to uh, find something, just go to the live channel. We usually have all of our trending titles playing 24-7 on that. That's a cool idea. So you're basically taking your own content, creating a playlist of it, putting that in as a 24-7 stream, and people can jump in. And and I guess if they jumped in, they're like, wow, this is really cool. I want to go watch the whole thing. I'm I'm halfway through it. I'm going to stop the live stream and I'll go find the asset in the platform and watch it from the start. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we're doing. We want to make it uh, easier for people to find and discover content. Right. And uh, also, um, what is it? If somebody's uh, on lunch, right, and they just want to watch something quick, they don't want to have to look throughout, look through uh, this whole catalog of hundreds of thousands of movies. So we have something streaming. Uh, they can just hop on, watch it for, you know, however long their lunch is and get on with their day. You know, and it's funny, everyone's going to probably listen to this podcast and and shake their head when I say this. But that was the, that was the like that was the value proposition of Quibi. So I liked the, <laughs> I, the idea behind Quibi was, hey, you know, I've only got a little 10 minute break. I want to watch a 10 minute piece of content. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that's I would totally diverge if we if we took. I, I know. And I have my own opinions about Quibi. Yeah. Right? I, was, I was not a big fan. <laughs> you, and, right? you and many other people. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I was like, mm, I don't know. And not saying that it was a bad idea, but it just launched oh, at the worst time in history. time to launch a only <laughs> platform when people are staying home and able to watch stuff on their TVs. Yeah. No, no. It was, uh, it, oh, man. That is the worst luck, man. I was like, dang. And, and they, yeah. they couldn't have predicted that. No, no. And that's kind of what I told people. I was like, listen, they developed some really cool tech, like the whole switching thing, like what they called the turnstile, where you could turn and you get a different perspective on the movie or the the show. And I was like, that's really cool stuff. And but exactly. but yeah, but if you're launching a mobile only platform in the middle of a pandemic where everybody's sheltering in their homes, yeah, it's yeah, you just you basically just lit the business on fire. <laughs> exactly. Like if I was going to the office, right, uh, my lunch break, I want to watch something quick. Right. And I did check out some of their content and it was appealing. It was really, really well done content. Yep. Right. But it, again, it's just bad, bad timing, man. Bad timing. Yeah, I felt I felt bad for them. And I've talked to Rob Post a couple of times because, you know, he they were a member and um, he was a great guy. He came out of Hulu uh, to be the yep. CEO of, of Quibi. So I was talking I've talked to him like since then, just, you know, wow. briefly like, hey, really sorry about Quibi. You know, we got to catch up soon. Um, 
but it's, you know, it, again, there are going to be casualties uh, in this, you know, in this war. So, Unfortunately, it, it, yeah, exactly. It is what it is. Well, listen, we're, we're, I want to wrap this up here. We're just about at the top of the hour, but I have one question for you, of course. What is Absolutely. your favorite piece of content on Afroland TV? Oh, man, that's a great question, man. And and this changes over time as we bring in more content. Uh, but recently, I uh, watched uh, a movie called Time Looped, right? Time Looped is. Um, is uh, about a husband, right? Um, a husband, well, it's a newlywed couple, okay. right? And uh, the husband is just flat out mean to his uh, to his uh, to his wife over and over and over again. And then um, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain this. Like an African, I want to. I don't want to say fairy, but okay, I'm gonna just use the terminology fairy. Right, so an African fairy, uh, African ma- magical, uh, I guess, fairy, comes into, comes into the play of the marriage and says, hey, listen to the husband, I will make, I will repeat this one day for the rest of your life until you start treating your wife nice. Oh, I love it. He takes it as a joke. He's like, yeah, whatever, right? And it happens, and he's stuck in this time loop. Right, and in this time loop, every day is the same except his actions. Have, have you have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> that sounds like. I mean, listen, we all know that there's really only like seven or eight archetypal stories, right? I mean, they're just we're all just retelling the same thing. Same story, different perspective. I love, absolutely love, a really innovative, unique, interesting take on a on a standard yeah. trope, which is the looping of the day trope, right? Uh, 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 I, I forget that birthday one die something or other that was same thing right interesting yeah. interesting trope this mm-hmm. take it a different way what you just described i just wrote down time looped on my list underneath the genesis of the ashantis and i'm watching that one too <laughs> yeah exactly no so i just recently watched that movie man it's an awesome movie keeps you entertained and this goes back to, again right our stories are universal stories Anybody can love and watch these stories. It's uh, it's in English. Uh, most of our content is. I know. Right. Yeah. Well, we're starting out uh, in the uh, the English speaking part of uh, just Africa, collecting that content, bringing it here to the states, and then we are going to move into the uh, francophone. Oh, very. Cool. Uh, uh, Africa at a later stage after we establish ourselves as uh, francophone English or English speaking African content. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm I'm you know. I'm a, I, I love stories that are told and produced in their original language. Like I watch a lot of uh, a lot yeah. of Japanese content and especially like yeah. uh, Hiyo Miyazaki. Like I'm a huge fan. Uh, yeah. People have all his stuff. I have all of his stuff in Japanese. Like I don't do any English dubs. It. And so I, I, you have to pay attention to the subtitles. You're like, I have to watch. Mm-hmm. I have to literally watch this. I can't just listen to it or, or look at my phone because then I look up and I'm like, what I miss? Uh-oh. Exactly. You miss the whole. You you miss uh, a climate. That's right. So I, I really like content that's produced with subtitles. Um, I, th- I think it's it's a more engaging way for me to watch. Um, now, mind you, it's like insanely annoying when the subtitles are English and the content is English. I'm like, turn the subtitles off. Uh, but anyway, so really, yes, I, I'm I'm different because I, I like to watch literally all my movies with subtitles, even if it's English. I know there's a bunch of people that do like, I'm, I, I think I'm the weird one. I think lots of people have subtitles turned on when they're watching stuff. And I'm like, it, 
is it just me? I was like, I just don't like the subtitles. Um, exactly. But that's no, that's really funny. Well, listen, Michael, this has been amazing. It's a really cool conversation with you. And and again, I'm so impressed with what you've done to date and the, and the journey you've gone through as a as a young entrepreneur in this space, which is. You know, I think you you came in at the right time. You have the right mindset for for doing what you're doing. And I'm going to say, like, your cause is noble, right? You are bringing these wonderful stories that, like you said, have been sort of sequestered on the continent for so long. Now we're starting to see them pulled out. There are amazing stories and amazing actors to watch. Uh, so I, I, for one, am, am, I'm excited to see this just, you know, explode at some point. And, you know, something that people are talking about, like, hey, what'd you watch on Disney? Disney Plus. No, no, no. Like I missed the last, you know, WandaVision episode because I was watching this thing on Afroland TV. So, awesome. you know, that's where I want to see things get. That would be very cool. Absolutely. No, thank you so much, Jason. And I uh, literally, I'm, uh, I'm really appreciative of everything that stream, uh, uh, streaming, uh, <laughs> streaming video alliance has been doing for us and uh, obviously all the forums and just connecting us because we need all the help as possible to make this uh, ambitious goal come to fruition. Well, good. We're going to help however we can. So I am Absolutely. here for you. All right, man. Well, cool. Yay. Have a wonderful weekend. And uh, I'm sure we will talk soon. All right, Jason. You too, brother. Talk soon. All right, thanks, Michael. Bye. Bye-bye.